Hey, I want you to go into God's Word, into John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I want to talk to you about the witness, the witness of the Spirit. Now, you've heard of the witness protection plan. You've heard of, can I get a witness? People will call witnesses to the stand. They'll swear by oath to tell the truth, and then they'll be interrogated by the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney. The judge will occasionally ask questions in order that information will be gathered, clarity will come. A witness is someone who attests to something that has occurred. A witness is someone who has been there. For example, the scriptures, they're eyewitness accounts from people who have been there. And that's what's Part of the beauty of the scriptures is that it's not the telephone game where it's drifted off into ambiguity. It's all God-breathed and it's inspired by God and it's trustworthy. It's been passed down through generations and it's faithful and it's reliable. It's the uh, reliable document for our faith and our practice of faith. John chapter 10, I want to read verse 1 through 5 to you. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. So Jesus is getting really specific here. And it was fairly pluralistic in his day. Pantheism, idolatry. He's preaching the monotheistic truth of there's only one God, and he's coming in as the... The representation, he's, he's come in. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God sent Jesus. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is his only begotten son saying, there's really only one way. He said, any other way, if you climb up some other way, it's not going to work. He says, but he who enters by the door is a, the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Look at this. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So there are a lot of voices, and they're all significant. And there's the voice of truth, and there's the voice of error or falsehood, and what Jesus distinguishes here is that when you give your heart, when, I give, when we gave our hearts to the Lord, something was activated on the inside of us where we got on the frequency of God's voice. Now, years ago, my wife bought me a boom box, and it played cassettes, and it was really cool, and I walked around with it on my shoulder. I had parachute pants. I had a red leather jacket. I had a mullet. And I was rocking it. And uh, I played my CD, I played my, my cassette tapes on it because CDs hadn't come yet. And it had AM, FM. It was a very sporty item. Thank you for that boombox, Patsy. She went and saved for it, and it was really, really cool. It was an upgrade from my little Panasonic cassette player. In the 70s, when you were a Christian, you had your own leather-covered Bible that you made the leather cover, and you had a Panasonic cassette tape player, and you were playing cassette tapes. Well, then I advanced to a boombox, and the boombox had AM, FM, had, it had cassette player, and it also had shortwave radio. This is cool. And I was so into 
the nations that the shortwave radio was an extra bonus. And at that time, a minister from South Bend, Indiana, Lester Sumrall, uh, was influential in my life, and he was actually broadcasting on shortwave radio. So that got me wanting to kind of find the gospel going out on shortwave radio. Now, there were ham radio operators. You guys remember all this? This was from the dawn of time. I went to high school with Alexander Graham Bell, and he and I <laughs> would talk about this future. Anyway, uh, there were two knobs on the side of this boombox for the shortwave part. There were knobs for everything else, but the frequencies on the shortwave were so tight that you had to have two knobs. And the first knob, what you do is you turn it until you got static. And then when you got static, then you'd go into the, there was a knob within the knob. There was a big knob, and then there was a small knob that was built in there. And that, this was a finer tuned knob. So once you got the general static, then you would turn the, the little knob, and then you'd get, and it was just a hair, like, you know, you'd just go past it and back and the back and forth, and finally you'd catch it. And you would hear French, or you would hear African language, or you'd hear something in Hindi from India, you'd hear Russian. I mean, it was amazing. I listened to that radio, and I would just really enjoy it. I mean, this was before flat screens. This was before HDTV. This was before, I mean, CDs. But all that aside, the technology was built into the box to be able to pick up those signals. And I want to tell you that we are three-part beings. God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit birthed us in His image, in, in God's image. And He made us spirit, soul, and body. And I want you to say this. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. So the body has voicings of the five physical senses. Seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, so forth. That those are the gateways into communication to the body. The soul, our intellect, it's our mind, our emotions, our thinking faculties, our will. But there also is this third part. We are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. We are spirit. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus makes this point. Jesus makes this point uh, when he is, is talking to his disciples. In John chapter 4, he says something so powerful he said in verse 24, chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The reason I reach my conclusion that we are spirits, we have souls, and we live in bodies, and we're not just strictly soul and, and, and body, is because the Bible says that, that he will sanctify us entirely, and that our whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved blameless to the, to the, to the day of Jesus. So there's distinction there, and then that's in first. Thessalonians chapter 5, and then in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, in the 12th verse, the Bible is called the word of God that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it makes distinction between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, over and over in the scriptures, it talks about how we, not just adorning the outward person only, you know, it's not just strictly physical fitness and keeping our hair right and brushing our teeth. We have to tend to the hidden person of the heart. When you and I ask Jesus to come into our hearts, hearts we become uh, born again. That, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there is a, as realistically as there is a 
physical birth and birthday of a person, when you're a baby and you're born as an infant, you come into this world, there is a spiritual birth that happens when we call upon Jesus. We're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so Paul talked quite a bit about this. He said, you know, we've received not the spirit that's from the world, but the spirit that's from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. So he said, uh, we speak in spiritual terms. In fact, right now as I'm preaching, this is not so much public speaking, it's not so much motivational speaking, it's not, I'm not doing a speech. I am preaching the word to you, and that's completely different. And in fact, I'm not even making an appeal to your mindset so much as I am preaching spiritual thoughts in spiritual words. And, uh, and there's an opportunity for revelation to come as the word is preached. And this actually is, is designed to feed your spirit and to renew your mind. And that's part of, that's, that's where, what your soul is. And in fact, it says in James chapter 1, that if, with, if we humble ourselves and approach the word correctly, with meekness we receive the engrafted word, it's able to save our souls. Well, but I thought I already was saved. You know, we even talk about soul winning, and let's go out, and so, so many souls got saved. But really, that's a, con, a bit of a confusion, because God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. A lot of times people talk about making decisions, and sometimes they're spiritual, sometimes they're physical, fleshly-oriented, sometimes they're soulish. I think in order for us not to just be governed by our flesh and just dominated by soulish thinking, we need to understand and explore this a little bit about this spiritual dimension. And that's what's exciting to me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so there is a promise of a new birth. This is completely different than adhering to a religious ritual. This is different than just being a religious person. This is different than, than being a spiritual person. There's so many situations now where I think on the dating websites, they've got a little slot where I'm spiritual but not religious. And sometimes people are religious but they're not spiritual. And we want to get it. It's not just semantics. We got, because God is a spirit, and he's looking for people who worship him in spirit and truth, and there needs to be a, a new birth. You know, in, in Genesis, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, look, here are all these trees with all this fruit. Here's a tree of life. You can eat all these, from all these trees except this one, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because if you eat that, you will surely die. So that is when... Death encroached in humanity. Satan usurped authority from Adam and Eve who had delegated authority given to them by God and it's what theologians call the fall of man. So now we live in a fallen world. So here we are on Friday night studying the scriptures, spending time worshiping God, giving to the cause, praying in faith, gathering. Why? Because God has invested something in us. God has activated us and brought us out of darkness to show forth his praise and to walk in his path and walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It also says the flesh is at odds with the spirit. But then here's this soul in the middle. And our soul, our mind, our emotions, our thinking faculties and our will needs help. 
How many of you, your melon needs help? You need a checkup from the neck up. You need an attitude adjustment. You need your mind renewed. Paul said it's so great in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Notice spiritual service of worship, presenting our bodies. So what we're saying is I'm no longer seeking to be governed by my flesh appetites, by my pettiness, by my desire for instant gratification, by those lesser things. I want to present myself to God, put a flip on this thing, and walk in the Spirit. That's what it says here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is Paul writing to the Romans who were all about idolatry, sophistication, caste system, class standards, uh, hedonism, all kinds of crazy appetites, binge eating, crazy purging, all crazy stuff. It all started there. Nothing's new. It all started there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's, let's look at this verse again, because I think this is such a f- profound key for us tonight. Do not be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips' translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but be transformed. Now, that word transformed in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. And metamorphosis, you think about two different creatures in the animal kingdom you could readily think about. You go to a pond, the beginning of spring, and you hear a bunch of frogs singing the happy song. Those frogs have found each other, and they are cranking out tadpoles. And then you go down to the edge of the pond or river, and you see all these little, funny, little, peculiar-looking little critters. Big heads, little tails, and they're squiggling all along. In fact, I can, at a certain point in the year, I could grab them and just look at them. And then at a certain point... They're transitioning from being tadpoles. They're eventually going to they have a destiny to become a frog. And sometimes you could find them where they have little bitty, stubby legs. They still have a tail, big old giant oversized head. They're not saying ribbit yet. They're neither here nor there. They're not tadpoles anymore. They're not frogs yet. They're called teenagers. <laughs> right? I remember that when I was, I was in between. <laughs> And that was a hard period for my life. I had no idea you'd run into many more cycles like that through your middle age and so forth. But anyway, how about the woolly worms that we watch crawling along, and then they crawl up into a tree, then they make a cocoon, and there they are in this cocoon, and then eventually out pops out a butterfly. And... That's, a, that's called, a meta, that process is in nature is metamorphosis, where it goes from one stage to another. And we could actually, after we get saved, get our minds renewed by the word of God and go from immaturity to understanding and wisdom. We can go from one stage where, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he talked to the Corinthians, he said, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. So little babies, I've been around some babies lately, what do they want? Mama, the bottle, and a diaper change. Or a diaper change, the bottle, and mama, right? 
And uh, they just, it's all me, me, I, I, me. And then they pick up stuff and they, put, they just put stuff in their mouth. Every, they find stuff. And at a certain point when they're teething, they'll put your elbow in their mouth. In fact, many times I've held some of the kids here and then I just had like a wet lapel, which is a badge of honor. But in the spiritual transition that this metamorphosis talks about, it implies actually that we can actually grow, mature, and grasp the knowledge of God and move up into levels of, of spiritual growth. You know, I, I want to see the removal of all that hinders growth in my life. I want to see the love walk amplified. I want to see God's perfect will done. I want to see spiritual maturity, all with the end in mind. You know, I drove into the parking lot. I'm missing some people who have passed recently that I've gotten very attached to in the church. I know where they are. They're on the other side. I'm going to be reunited with them. But man, I miss them. I miss them. I watched them grow. I watched them gain ground. And now they're present with the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the author and the finisher of our faith intercepts us when we leave our bodies. Boom! Present with the Lord. That's a consolation for me with the hundreds of funerals I've had to do, is knowing that for a Christian who's born again spiritually, even when they die, they live. And to live as Christ, and actually for them to die is a promotion. It's an advancement. Isn't that right? Yeah. Patsy's mother passed on Christmas Day. It was hard for us, but I, I thought about how great it was for her. Christmas was her favorite holiday, and she got to have it with Jesus. She didn't have any potential family hassles. She didn't have to sit in the corner of our kitchen with her arms crossed and wait until the tempest blew over because it's not dysfunctional in heaven. Hallelujah. One of the parts that we could look forward to in heaven is that it's a quality place with no devil, no temptation, no sin, no sickness, no weirdness. Hallelujah. What is that going to be like? We look through a glass darkly. Right now it's so fuzzy. It's kind of like the tuning knobs on the side of my boom box with the short wave. It's kind of staticky. Eventually we'll see face to face. So right now as I'm preaching, I want to emphasize that you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, and you actually have the ability and the capacity once you're saved to begin to become sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'll even tell you, that knob in the middle was a more sensitive knob than the outside knob. And I actually think we can learn to sensitize ourselves by doing stuff like this, getting our eyes fixed on Him, spending time in the Word. I had a wonderful time today out in the sunshine, spending time in God's Word. And that is our first love, that, that we realize what happened on the cross Independently from our performance, Jesus came and rescued, in fact, died for sinners. He died while we were not according to deeds we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He saved us. We were hopeless and helpless. When I was lost at sea, there was no hope for me. I had tried to swim against the current in New Zealand to get up to the island. I would get so close, and then the current would pull me away. It was very frustrating. I, would try, I, would, I went around other big old boulders and tried to, the boat was obscure. They couldn't see me. They were busy shooting other, spearing fish. So for that moment, I was, when it, in my own power, I could not save myself. 
I knew that I was going to have to be rescued from somebody. Somebody was going to have to come and get me. It was very humble, humbling. When you're a guy, you know, you want to be the rescuer. You don't want to be the rescuee. You want to be the rescuer. So I felt totally dependent on the intervention of others. So I prayed through my snorkel, God, please help me. And uh, I was exhausted. I decided I'm going to swim as hard as I can, paddle against this current. I thought, this is not going to hurt me to try to swim to exhaustion. I'll swim to exhaustion. And if I'm done and I can't paddle one more paddle, at least I tried. But I realized it was fairly futile. Well, as it turned out, it ended up being a help because it kept me from going over a reef that would have shot me out even farther and faster. And the captain of the boat said, it's good you swam against the current because had you not done that, you'd have been lost. So this life is kind of perplexing. We're not saved by our works, but we do need to respond by faith. And uh, he, he has done this work to provide this new birth for us. And he is inviting us into this new birth. Not only is he inviting us into this new birth, then he's inviting us into this metamorphosis where we conform to his image, we grow in grace, and that's the process we're in now. It's called discipleship, and that's what we're doing right now. We're growing. Now, some of you, maybe you've never gotten saved. You've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. Listen, lost at sea, when they call your name and then they pull you up onto the boat, it feels good. It feels real good. Another time I had another accident and my friend's neck was crushed and cut and he was bleeding. He couldn't even breathe. Blood in his mask. It was terrible. Rescued in a helicopter. I watched the people work on him for hours and they saved his life. That's a relief. You see somebody you care about and they're relieved and and then they got rescued and they got healed. And then I even had the person come here because they said he couldn't speak for a year and a half. And after six months, we were one of the first places he came to preach. He, and I just called him. He was in Puerto Rico preaching. He's preaching all over the place. His voice is a little bit different, but he, it's, it's a tribute and a testimony to the saving power of God. You get saved from a, a situation. It makes you appreciative. In fact, one time this lady was choking on a sandwich. She wasn't making any noise. I got up and I gave her the Heimlich maneuver. Sandwich popped out of her throat and she begrudgingly looked at me and said, I guess you saved my life. (laughs) Some people are more or less thankful in these situations, but I for one am very grateful to have been saved from the boat accident, saved from the ocean, but mainly saved from sin that separates us and gets us bound toward eternal separation from God is such a perilous, grim situation. And this is the reason why I'm talking about this new birth. The new birth is essential. You must be born again. I've talked to people. I think of some people who have come through our church who were not transferred from other churches. They came completely from a lost condition. They would even tell me, I'm not a Christian. Three of them, there's three people. One guy was a Buddhist, I'm not a Christian. Another guy, I'm an agnostic, I'm not a Christian. Another guy is an Orthodox Jew, he said, I'm not a Christian. Never been to church before. I said, well, just come and check it out. So they came, two of the three, for a two-year period. And then I watched them respond to and receive Jesus. I've watched people come out of cultic thinking and get on track. The Bible says that there are many voices, and, and we don't follow the stranger's voice. We follow the master's voice. 
The Holy Spirit will always and only guide us into all the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His word is spirit and it's life. His word is true. Hallelujah. So the voice of the written word is reliable. The still small voice, that voice that comes up behind us and says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. And when we understand and acknowledge God is a spirit and that God's word is spirit and truth and that the Holy Spirit has been given to guide us into the truth, boy, we're really onto something. And then we look at our mind, our emotions, our will, our thinking faculties. We see how they can be subjected to so many things. The people that have mental problems from trauma, from chemical imbalances, from hormonal issues, from all kinds of episodes of life. And it can impair and, imp and impede on those, that part of your life. But you can get out, you can win in these things. You can overcome. You can get over it. You can, you can be healed. Hallelujah. And we don't have to be sense-ruled Christians. We don't have to be governed and ruled by our flesh, nor do we have to be governed and ruled by, our so, being, so, by being soulish. And, and this is where we can actually, when we distinguish that there's this difference between spirit and soul, then that's a big step toward helping us to not being soulish, leaning on our own understanding, coming out with our own uh, conclusions that are so finite and limited. God is a spirit, and he's eternal, and he's almighty, and he's vast. And he knows the end from the beginning. He transcends time and space. That's trippy. We live in this time-space realm, and the confines are limiting. That's part of what I think when our friends that are believers die, they blast out of the time-space format, and they get out there into that dimension with where God is, and then that's, the Bible says that they know as they are known. It's like a big, hearty yahoo of revelation that must come upon somebody when they get out of this confine of this fallen world. Paul even said, we look through a glass darkly. You know, so many people, so many philosophers have written about the obscuring nature of the fall. And, uh, you know, looking through the, all the variables of the fall, which is our collective inherent human condition. But when we become Christians, he puts and embeds in us the ability to fine-tune and know the master's voice. He said, my sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. So then now, we can trust, we could actually be led by the Holy Spirit. And it's not spooky. The counterfeits are like psychic, horoscopes, all this stuff. People talking about their signs, paranormal stuff. I want supernatural. I want, and I want it to be the real thing. And I just want to propose to you that God is so trustworthy. And that when Jesus comes into your life and makes you a new creature... He gives you not a skill set that you earn and learn, but a provision where you know the master's voice. You, you are a born-again believer, and as such, you are, you're hardwired to connect with the one who has a plan for your destiny, who knows more about the future than you do about your past, who his eye is upon you and guides you with his eye upon you who withholds no good thing from you and tells us to ask for wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. I have a friend who talked to a guy, a very famous story writer, for four hours at his villa. Went around in circles and circles and circles. And this guy is really 
the guy that was the Christian, he's smart. So he knew how to get in there and insert the gospel. The guy was just deflecting it, leaning on his own understanding. But the beauty of the gospel is that it is incorruptible seed. And, as, and we're not required to bring conviction and drive the point home and bottom line it and close the deal. God is God. In fact, the Bible says he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So we do our part to share the gospel. We sow the seed like farmers. We go to bed at night and we trust God for the process. The farmer doesn't even really know. You could explain that seeds contain the DNA and the life and you know it has nutrition in it. It has a pattern in it and it's going to birth it's going to grow and it's going to produce seed. It's fruit with seed that's going to produce. You can explain all that, but it's still a mystery. You know, you can explain to me cell phone technology where there are radio waves going through the air and then there are cell phone towers and then there, you know, and when you push these buttons, it goes to these servers and all that kind of stuff. You can explain that all to me and I can know the physics of it and I can know the mechanics of it, but then I still want to know how is that all happening? You can explain gravity to me and the rotation and the solar system and the pattern of the moon and the tides. And you can tell me all about it. You can tell me how the moon has a gravitational pull and the sun actually has a gravitational pull and that when they're at a certain point, it causes low tide, high tide. You can tell me all that stuff. And then after you tell me all that stuff, I want to know why and how come. Because this is some mystery in all this stuff. The miracle of a baby being born the sperm and the egg and all that kind of stuff. You can explain it all to me. It's all awesome. The atmosphere of the womb and the umbilical cord and all the nutrition and the everything, and then boom, nine months later, and there's a kid. That just freaks me out. You can be a doctor and you can explain it to me. You could go to your PhD or your MD and you can be an OBGYN and you have delivered 4,000 babies and you can explain all the details to me and I'll sit there and I'll listen. I'll take notes. I'll probably get an A on the test. But I still am fascinated by the miracle of it. A rainbow is to light refracting off the doodad of the thingamabob. Okay, but wow. And I'm here talking to you in church about these spiritual truths. And it's an enigma and a riddle, but it can be understood. In fact, the Bible says we, we are to even pray that we would know things that we can't even know. And that's from a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And God will give us this prompting in our spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us in decisions we need to make. He'll help us as we lean on Him and we trust Him tonight. We can really be in faith and we can really have expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to show us steps we need to take. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I think... When you're really a Jesus follower, you should even pray about when and where you should go on vacation. Even when and where you should eat. I mean, Patsy and I had a, we, wanted, we had our notebooks and we were going to go study. We, and our dream was to go spend time alone with the Lord and just dream and imagine. God had other plans. As soon as we got there, immediately we started ministering to people, one after the other. And we never had the opportunity for the original thing we had intended to do. God had other things in mind. And because he's the Lord, he has veto power. He's way smarter than we are. His deal is way more important than ours is. 
And he makes up for all this stuff. And if we'll just follow him and yield to him and stay in this place of sensitivity with him, our discernment will be sharpened and we will decrease the potential to mess up and increase the potential to nail it and to have a favorable outcome. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. We can follow the inward witness, that, that sense in our spirit. So I'll finish with one example in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is Paul, an example of Paul. I want to tell you that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. That was something of his redemptive responsibility. And the Holy Spirit had a plan to lead him into this head-on attack, head-on confrontation with the devil. He came back and returned in the power of the Spirit. So we have a mission. We have a responsibility. We have this, this witness. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And there's a bearing of witness. That inward witness is going to prove to be a great asset for your spiritual life. It's way better than that fine-tuned knob, remember, on my boombox for the shortwave? It's way better. And you have it. You know the Master's voice. Say that. I know the Master's voice. And the voice of a stranger I will not follow. I am led by the Holy Spirit. I walk by faith and not by sight. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. See, this will help us. We, we, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We learn to listen to him. We learn to get sensitive to him. We don't just chronically override and get in the flesh. This closes the door to the devil and his influences. Keeps us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's why God told the ancient Israel, don't go to soothsayers, don't do these incantations, don't do that garbage. You know, we walk by, I walk by a fortune teller in another city, and uh, they called out my name. And I thought, that's a familiar spirit. That's no joke. And that's just the devil. And that's a familiar spirit. So you don't want to horse around with that garbage. And I'm not being superstitious or putting... I'm just saying, that, that, well, why did they know my name? Because the demon that was hanging out with that person, that familiar spirit, knew, was familiar with certain things in the, in, in, and knew stuff and was gathering information and feeding it into this conduit who was being used by the devil. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 16 here where Paul is called to preach and a woman with a spirit of divination hassled him. And the Bible says Paul was greatly annoyed. And when people are demonic, it is really annoying, isn't it? But anyway, listen to this as we finish. Paul wants to go to Asia. He wants to preach the gospel in what is now Turkey. I spent the night in uh, Istanbul, Turkey, in the airport. I felt very uncomfortable there. I saw on YouTube where they blew up a bomb in that same airport right around the corner from where we spent the night. Right down the hall, just a few feet away from where we were. God delivered us. But I didn't like spending the night there. God covered it. Paul wanted to get these people saved in his generation 2,000 years ago. He aspired to Asia. He aspired to Rome and to Caesar, and he did get there. But he also, along the way, because he was called to the non-Jews, he wanted to reach the Gentiles in Asia. It was his passion. It was his call. And so it says here that Paul wanted... He met Timothy, and he wanted 
to go into these places and preach. And it says in verse 4, Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon in chapter 15, issues about the Gentiles with James. You could read that if you want to get a background on it. And he was passing out the decrees to the church so they were flowing in cohesion and unity with their decisions about how to treat the Gentiles. This was fascinating. It was something new. The non-Jewish people were now included in this covenant with God, and the Jewish believers had to really figure out how to respond to that because none of them had observed the law. None of them were saved by the works. Of course, in fact, none of the Jews were saved by their works either. So this is the whole thing. But then they passed through the Phrygian. It says, and so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Boy, I pray that for us. Strengthened in the faith and increasing in number daily. Last Sunday, I met three different people, never been here before. I'm believing God for an influx. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wow. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This is like, God is saying, don't preach the word here. But God who said, go preach the word, See, a lot of overbearing Christians would say, oh, I'm just going, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I've seen, and I, I remember a guy saying, I just do a bunch of stuff and I, I'm 75% off and I'm 25% hit it. I thought, that is somebody I'm not going to fellowship with. <laughs> because that's carnal, that's soulish. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's not good rationale. I know he was trying to say, just go out and do stuff for God. But I've seen a lot of that and the outcome is miserable. It's dismal. And Paul was actually even trying to do that which shows something of Paul's tenacity and Paul's drive and his personality. But yet, the Holy Spirit is reigning him in. That, can we say being forbidden by the Holy Spirit would be that witness, that tug, that nudge, that what we call a check in your spirit, that red light. It's like, no, don't do that. I think if we learn to follow these things, we'll have a favorable outcome. So here's what it says here. It says, and after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, Look at this. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. So Paul's trying to get into this place, and he's got a conflict, and the Holy Spirit is saying, this is not the right timing. We later find out that God knew, obviously, exactly when Paul should get inserted into this environment. And in fact, it says later on in the book of Acts that he taught in a school of a man named Tyrannus, for two years, and all of Asia heard the gospel. So something happened in that moment where he was in that environment at the right time in the right place with the right people doing the right thing right in the Holy Spirit, and it precipitated a mass move of God. But up until that point, it wasn't the right timing. Everybody say timing. So the Holy Spirit was restraining him. Aren't you glad we, have, we are spirits, we have souls, we live in a body, and we could actually, from this point on, we could be led by the Holy Spirit and make good decisions. Who in here is glad for that? We could actually know the master's voice, fine tune and walk with him and be sensitive to him and hit the mark. How many of you want to hit the mark? Hallelujah, we can do it. So he takes a nap, a vision by night. A man from Macedonia is standing and appealing to him. It becomes, you know, this is like, it doesn't say it was a, he didn't have a dream. It was a vision at night. But it wasn't a dream, it was a vision at night. So not to be confused with a dream. So anyway, that's what it says. So that's what it is. It's a vision by night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately 
he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So then he goes, goes by a river, and he finds, he was hoping to find people worshiping. He finds a woman named Lydia, and uh, the Lord opens up her heart as she's listening to the word and the things spoken by Paul. She gets saved, and this is a milestone for Western civilization. This is a turning point. This is the first convert in Europe. God had a, a bigger plan for Paul, and he made that mid-course adjustment. He was moving in this direction, but the Lord said, no, no, don't go there, go there. Aren't you thankful that we are spirits, we have souls, and we live in bodies, and that we know the Master's voice, and the voice of a stranger we will not follow? And some of us, we could get stuck. Some of us, we could get just leaning on our own understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, lean not on your own understanding. Here, here's a good hope here. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I think Paul was pushing. And remember, in his conversion in the King James, he said, how long will you kick against the pricks or against the goads where it's like God is trying to get his attention and he's kicking against it. He's so stubborn. He says, how long are you going to do that? And and I think maybe even in this case in Acts chapter 16, he again is starting to push, push to try to get in and become pushy, and the Lord's dealing with him. Aren't you glad that if our personality and temperament is pushy, God will rein us in a little bit? And if we're reluctant, God will nudge us forward? Aren't you thankful that God can factor in all the variables of all of our personalities and all of our situations? Hallelujah. So there's a witness Everybody say, I have a witness. Can I get a witness? That the Holy Spirit, again, Romans 8, 16, 14, it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I've been watching babies. There's a flow that happens with these kids. It's a result of being born into that family. We're born into God's family with the wiring to know the master's voice. This is not elusive. This is not inaccessible. It's not just for an elitist few. We all have the opportunity to perceive, to inquire of the Lord. God, which is the way you want me to go? I think it's important that we make sure it's scriptural, get good counsel, lean not on our own understanding, pray in faith, does it glorify Jesus? Is it scriptural what I want to do? Is it your timing, Lord? And, uh, if, and since it is, let's go for it. In fact, I think you can't steer a parked car. And I think actually it's important that we put our hand to things and do our work heartily unto the Lord. Whatever our hand finds to do, we do it with all our might. Amen? Amen. And we walk in the Spirit and we trust God to help us. And He will help us. He will help us. So that's an example of being led by the Holy Spirit. That's an example of that witness. So let's all stand up on our feet, and I want to pray for you. Put your hands on your heart. God, I pray that there will be a stimulation of sensitivity, that you'd remove any callous, any hardness, any coldness, any reservation. And help us, Lord, to pay particular attention to you, Lord. We know the Master's voice. And like the Native Americans who became sensitive, they would, they would lay their ear to the ground to hear the distant hooves of those bison. They would learn where they were coming from. They could sense them. They were, they had their senses trained. 
a mature Christian has their senses trained to discern good and evil. So there's hope for us. Our spiritual faculties can be sharpened. We can grow spiritually. We can be mature in our perceptions and be led by the Holy Spirit. Please help us, Lord. Say, please help me, Lord. Help me to hit the mark. You know, those of us who have made bad decisions in the past, aren't you glad for God's mercy? He'll, he will help us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Look at somebody next to you and say, be led. We are led by the Holy Spirit. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. 